This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Chase Thomas podcast. The Chase Thomas podcast. Um, my nephew needs me to record. See, I hate. I already hate it. I hate it. All right, welcome back to a Wednesday afternoon edition of the Chase Thomas podcast. Connor Ryan is here. Connor, good afternoon. It's been a little bit, and uh, the NHL season, where we're almost 10 games in now. 10 games in, and everything's kind of turned on its head, which is what I think most of us were expecting, uh, given the, the nature of the sport. What was your uh, your biggest, I guess, what has been your biggest early season shocker as of right now? Well, I'd say in terms of, I guess, disappointment, I think everyone was kind of excited to see how the New Jersey Devils were going to uh, look after probably being the, the most impressive team in the off season where, I mean, you obviously you get loaded up in terms of getting a guy like Jack Hughes, who you expect, you know, it's going to be a, a one, two punch down the middle of the ice for the guy like Nico Heischer. Uh, obviously Taylor Hall is coming back, you know, last full season won the MVP. So, and then they add a guy like PK Subban on the blue line. So even if there's still, you know, quite a few pieces in that overall roster that, you know, there's a couple of weak links, you'd imagine that, you know, some of that top end talent that, you know, people get excited about would at least kind of carry them and, you know, maybe stabilize that overall organization going forward. And uh, so far it just really hasn't, hasn't worked out for them. You know, you're seeing obviously uh, Hughes has kind of really struggled kind of out of the gate, which, it is it's a tough break for him because you've seen so many of these young players who kind of just get up to the NHL and kind of really roll with it. Like, you know, Austin Matthews or Jack Eichel or these guys who seem like they hit the ground running, obviously a guy like Connor McDavid. Um, so the fact that Jack Hughes is scoreless and people are kind of really, you know, ripping on him, even though he's again, an 18 year old kid who could, you know, add an extra 25, 30 pounds of muscle before he could like handle some of this competition. So it's kind of a tough break for him, but it just seems like everything's kind of broken for, for the devil so far, whether it be like, especially on special teams, uh, when they played the Bruins, their, their penalty kill was around like 42% or something like that, which is not going to help you out on most nights, obviously. Uh, you know, when they played the Bruins, I think they were 0 for 15 on the power play. So it's really just been kind of a recipe for disaster for, for that devil's team. And one, it's a disappointment for them short term because people were expecting them to really run with it. But also, you have to you know remember that Taylor Hall is about to be a free agent, and they're trying to do their best to retain a guy who really kind of gave them a little bit of a resurgence a few years back. Uh, if they continue to scuttle like this, I mean, it doesn't like kind of look good for you know Hall's long term future here, especially. What would you do if you're the Devils with Jack Hughes right now? Would you just keep playing him, keep the status quo, get the kinks out? Like, how would you handle this? I think, it, well, I saw when they, they played the Bruins, they had him on like the, the third line. And again, where, where I mentioned that the Devils, you know, even if they have a few very talented players, they also have quite a few guys, you know, in that bottom six, you know, the bottom two D pairings that aren't really, you know, you know, capable kind of NHLers or guys who are kind of fringe players. So 
even if you have a little bit of growing pain with a guy like Jack Hughes, I still think you kind of keep him in that top six and have him kind of, you know, take his lumps, but kind of adjust to the game on the fly. Because if you kind of put him with, you know, lesser talent around him, I don't know how that's really going to help his overall game. So even if, you know, he still kind of goes through a little bit of the struggles, you kind of have to toe that line between making sure he's not kind of, you know, fed to the wolves more or less in terms of, you know, he's getting knocked around all the time, but I think if you keep him up in that top six, give him, you know, pair him with guys who can finish, you know, scoring chances like Hall or, you know, Palmieri or any of these kind of guys, that can go a long way to kind of at least getting him on track. Because right now, I don't think it's doing him any good if he's kind of getting, you know, bottom six minutes or he's not really have guys around him that are going to get him to, you know, get into that groove offensively. Is it just him or what else is going on in New Jersey from what you've seen that, um, has plagued them so much uh, through 10 games. Yeah, well, obviously, I think that the biggest uh, issue for them is for as much as, you know, they have guys like Subban and Hall and, you know, uh, Jack Hughes and even a guy like uh, Nikita Gusev, who is people are pretty excited to see how he would translate over coming over from Russia, uh, especially in areas of the ice where, you know, you think those, that top end talent would kind of put them over the top. Um, it really hasn't worked out for them. Like when, when they played the Bruins and, you know, I mentioned how poor their power play has been you really didn't see much from them you know it seems like everything was just kind of off like guys were not setting up in the right spots you know like people were it seemed like people were more or less kind of freelancing uh, like along the half wall like a lot of pucks were getting past them uh you know brad Marshall and priest version at one point were pretty much playing like keep away in the double zone which is the last thing you'd want on like an extended stretch like that so it just seems like uh, whether it's like their system or it just seems like nothing's kind of going right for them right now in areas of the ice where you'd think they'd be able to at least, you know, catch in once in a while. Like, I don't think this double team's got the personnel to have like a, you know, top 10 power play unit. Like, they're not going to, you know, hover around 20%. But as a whole, like, you still think that they'd have, you know, the talent just to at least get a few goals on the board. And right now it hasn't worked out for them. So I don't think you view that as a coaching thing. And, it's kind of, you know, wild that it goes from, you know, the Devils being the team that won the offseason to having John Hines already on the hot seat. But you look at that, you look at the fact Tom Fitzgerald kind of jumping in to be an assistant coach now. It's, I think you can definitely make the case that, like, he's definitely feeling some of that pressure to perform, given both the excitement of this summer and also, again, that looming issue of you have to, you know, show enough to Taylor Hall that wants to make him stay in Newark, which right now it's just not working out. Stop me if you've heard this one before, Connor, but I think the the Ottawa Senators might be bad at hockey. I I have to agree with you. I mean, I, you when you look at that first game, you know, uh, Brady Kachuk scores, I think, you know, within 30 seconds, people are all excited. You know, maybe this young core they have kind of, you know, not, not you know, make a deep playoff push, but, you know, make things excited, have a fun kind of brand of hockey. And no, it, it is, as you said, very, very bad. At least they have their pick this year. Um, yeah. So that's good. That's a start. Much better improvement than last year. And, again, the whole thing with Ottawa is, I mean, you can never kind of tell with this organization just the way, it's, obviously, it's run and all that other, like, drama that is inevitably going to happen this year. But at least, you know, if you're an Ottawa Senators fan, again, as you said, you have a first-round pick this year, which is obviously a big plus. But also, at least they have a few kind of younger guys who you can be kind of excited about. Like, when Brady Gachuk went from – from BU all the way to the NHL level, I expected him to be like, you know, one of those power forward guys who, you know, takes a little bit of time to kind of adjust to the NHL level. It always seems like these like kind of bigger power forwards are the ones that have to take two, three years to kind of really settle into their own game. And 
so far he's kind of just followed the you know the Matthew Kachuk you know pest irritant you know not you know willing to play down low and it's worked out for him so he's definitely a guy who you know seems like the Ottawa Senators kind of struck gold with him and then obviously Thomas Shabbat um, and what he brings in that blue line in terms of a guy who's already you know a legitimate top you know top pairing defenseman a guy who could make the cases you know, maybe a year or so away from being, you know, a, a top, you know, 15 defenseman in the league. I mean, he just brings so much to that team, both, you know, obviously defensively and as, you know, an offensive catalyst. Um, so I think if you're an Ottawa Senators fan, still pretty miserable right now. Like your team is still very much not, not good, but uh, at least you have like a young core that, you know, you'll be able to retain for quite some time. Obviously they signed Shabbat to a, a long-term deal this year. So, at the very least, you have something to look forward to, which, you know, you look at a few of these other teams like, you know, the Wild, and you, you know, it doesn't look nearly as bright at the end of the tunnel. Yeah, and I mean, the Wild's just weird just because they they fired their GM after one year, and they got a new one in, and he seems like the best thing about him is that he's pretty solid when it comes to player development, but they're just... They're in a weird spot. I don't know what to think of the Minnesota Wilds' future. A lot of teams are very clear whether or not they're rebuilding, they're going for it right now or whatever, but the Wild are just in this different state altogether that like, I, I'm not comfortable really um, diving too deep into it because I just I don't know. No, it's it's like, you know, they always say the worst thing you want to be in sports is in that kind of no-man's land where you're right. not bad enough to tank but also not good enough, of course, to – to compete for a legitimate championship, like the Wild are in this level where it's like they're they're in they're already one of the worst teams in the NHL, but like they're in like this like you know the this sunken place of like there's nothing to look forward to, like there's no like prospect on the way. Kind of like almost like the Nets a few years back, where it's like you don't have like a you know prospects that you can look forward to, like your draft future is kind of messed up. Like there's nothing there to get you excited about, like. The damage has already been done with them when they traded Nino Niederreiter um, to Carolina, who hit the ground running with them. They get a guy back in Victor Rask, who, like, has pretty much been a fourth-line guy or a scratch for them since then. So that's obviously a tough break. Uh, they trade Charlie Coyle to the Bruins for Ryan Donato, which at the time seems like it was a kind of a good trade for everyone. The, you know, the Bruins get a third-line center that really solidifies that spot, and the Wild get a, you know, a young, uh, you know, sniper in Ryan Donato who should, you know, really kind of take that next step with more minutes. And I mean, he went from being a top line center at the start of the year to like, he was scratching in the most recent game, which is not a good sign when a guy who's kind of out there to, you know, get pucks on net and to bring offense. If he's, you know, so, so poor in other areas of the ice that he's getting scratched already, that doesn't bode well for him either. So you look at that overall makeup of that team. It's not like a guy who, you know, is supposed to really take the next big step in the next year or two you got a lot of aging veterans who are kind of riding out the last years of their contract, like you're in a very, very bad spot if you're looking at what the wild are and what they can, you know, what they're looking at going forward. So I have to ask, are you buying more stock on the Edmonton Oilers start or the Anaheim Ducks? And I will go ahead and tell you the, um, the correct biased answer is the latter there. Yeah, I mean, I think if you look at, you know, the, the Anaheim Ducks and the, the Bruins kind of saw it firsthand where, um, you know, even if that team might not have, you know, the big guns up front that, you know, other teams might have, uh, it might not even matter if John Gibson's playing the way he is in net. And, I mean, you look at the numbers last year for him and, and what he provided in terms of having absolutely nothing in front of him. Like, that that team had, like, you obviously could not score last year, and the decor is pretty much obliterated as well, so... He was more or less kind of fed to the wolves and 
still put up very, very good numbers for a very, very bad Ducks team. And you look at uh, Anaheim this year, obviously they're still not, they still don't have the personnel that's going to put them over the top, but at least there's pieces there that you, you know, get excited about or, you know, a guy like Andre's case, who's really kind of come into his own. And you just wish that, you know, they had probably more playmakers around him that could kind of help him kind of take that next step. But at least they have, you know, younger guys kind of in the pipeline to get excited about. And again, if you kind of, you know, under, uh, you know, a, a new coaching staff there, if you have, uh, you know, a rock solid, you know, top three goalie in, in Gibson and that, you already have like kind of the toughest kind of foundation that teams have to look for. So if you already have that and continue to build and progress more and more, I think the Ducks could make, you know, a, a pretty big jump this year and especially going forward. Um, and then, I mean, Oilers are the Oilers. I mean, if you have Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl on your team, of course you're going to put up points, but still skeptical, but it's kind of like the, they're almost like uh, the Devils right now. If like the Devils like top high in talent was like cashing in, you know, it's like, they're obviously McDavid and uh, and Dreisaitl are producing. You know James Neal is loving his time in Edmonton so far. I got to give them credit for you know how great of a trade that turned out to be for them, trading Lucic uh, for for Neal. But as a whole, though, you look at over the ground of an 82 game season. There's so many again weak links still. You know all across the Oilers lineup. Like I don't know. I, I don't think it's something that can be sustained unless I mean bet against McDavid and Dreisaitl. You know if you want, but Still, this I think there's too many weaklings on that team to expect them to kind of keep up this pace over the whole stretch of a long season. That's fair. Um, the Sabers, another team that has um, some good recent history of starting off really strong and then fading as the season's gone on. Um, what's different about the Buffalo Sabers this season um, as opposed to how they started last season? I think it's one of those things where you, again, you're relying on so much of these kind of younger crop of players to kind of take that next step. And it seems like they all have done that at least this year. So obviously Eichel, who people forget is still, I think, you know, 22, 23 years old, um, has again, gone up to really, really strong start. They've really benefited the fact that I think their power play is, you know, I think cashing in on like, I think it's like 40, 45%, something like that. Like, I think like more than half of Eichel's points are on the power play. Um, so that's obviously gone a long way. You have a guy like, you know, Dowdeen who impressed last year, who they start to take, you know, more steps forward this year. Um, you obviously have, you know, older guys who are still contributing. Obviously Jeff Skinner, who was fantastic last year at the start, really kind of slowed down the second half of the year. So he's a guy they're going to have to rely on. Um, I'm sure they're very impressed with, uh, Marcus Johansson and what he's brought. He's a top six guy. He's, you know, a, a versatile kind of guy that, the Bruins, you know, wish they probably had on their lineup right now. They weren't able to afford him, but he's obviously making his mark there. So I think the Sabres are one of the teams that I think probably people were expecting more of this last year in terms of, you know, this young talent really driving them forward. But it looks like it's so far it's worked out for them this year. But as you said, I think the Sabres were maybe like the hottest or one of the best teams in the league through like, I want to say like the end of November. And then they just, you know, the they just went completely off the track. So We'll see how it is, you know, in a few months if they're able to still keep this up. But so far, that young talent's really kind of carrying them. Um, the Penguins. Is everyone dead? When do we just just wave the white flag? How many have to die for the Penguins to survive? I mean, it seems like they're kind of willing themselves to not have that be a conversation. I mean, when you see the amount of injuries they've had and, you know, trading away guys like Kessel and, you know, just kind of sacrificing a little bit of that offensive punch, you expect them to kind of be be in a rough spot, but I mean they're still like scoring 
what, like six, seven goals per game without guys like Malkin and uh, Gauchinek was hurt. Um, you know, it's so many guys that you think would be key pieces here, but obviously when you have a Sidney Crosby kind of anchoring your, your forward core, that kind of can go a long way in terms of keeping you afloat. And we've seen it over the years of, you know, the, the Penguins kind of second kind of run kind of in the, the mid 2000, mid 2010s where it's, you know, Crosby and Malkin and they put in guys like, you know, Connor Sheary or, or, or Rust or these other guys where they kind of, as long as you're playing on a line with a guy like Crosby or Malkin, it's going to, you're going to produce. So Crosby's obviously kind of carrying the load right now until Malkin comes back, which may not be for, you know, a, a month at, at least. So we'll see if they're still able to keep it up. But so far, you know, it seems like Crosby's kind of just carrying them and leading them kind of trying to get them to stay afloat in the metropolitan so far it's worked out for them. I mean, you're not really getting challenged from teams like the Islanders or the Rangers or the the devils obviously yet. So they've kind of been afforded a good window to have an injury like this. If they can kind of keep it afloat. Um, where are we at with uh, the team that you cover the Bruins in their inevitable collision with the Toronto Maple Leafs um, in a few months. I had Pete Blackburn of CBS sports on a couple weeks ago. And we were laughing about the fact that like just going into the season because of the NHL's playoffs format, um, we already know that these two are basically going to be playing each other in the first round again. Um, do, do they know that? Do players already prepared? Like when you're around the Bruins, do they just know that the, the Leafs are just going to be there? I mean, I think it's one of those things where it's, it seems like it's almost a certainty at this point. And it seems like the, the more you know pressing question is always is who more or less who's going to have home ice in that matchup, which the Bruins have obviously enjoyed, you know, having game seven in their own building over the last couple of years. But yeah, I mean, I think when you talk to people sizing up the competition, it's always, you know, the same three teams, at least in the Atlantic with Tampa on top, then Boston and Toronto kind of vying for that second spot. So something I think everyone's kind of well aware of, I mean, like you be a betting man, like I think everyone would go all in on the fact that it's probably going to be a first round once again between Boston and Toronto. Um, Again, the teams still just kind of are still like, you know, vying for that second overall spot. Uh, Toronto obviously made some improvements this year, especially on defense, um, getting more capable guys than, you know, what they'd usually roll out, which is like a, you know, a cardboard cutout of a guy in the third D pairing. So they're in a little bit of better shape than they were uh, previous years. And again, that top six is, the, is that top six where, I mean, you have, John Tavares and Matthews and Marner and, you know, uh, Nylander, of course, you're going to put up a bunch of goals. So uh, this is probably Toronto's, I would say, probably their best year to kind of go on a run just because they're so strapped for cap go, cash for going forward that if, uh, you know, when you look at their, their overall decor, I think five of their six Staten guys are all set to be free agents next year. So it, it's kind of wild that, you know, a team that has so many young, promising, you know, forwards, might have like their kind of legit title window limited to a year or two. But when you put so much money into just a few, a couple of players, you're hoping for like the NHL's, you know, cap increase to kind of bill you out. That's not really a sustainable method for, you know, putting together this really long extended championship run. So this might be Toronto's best year to, you know, finally get over the, the hump of the Bruins and kind of go on a run because the case could be made last year at least that if they just get past Boston in game seven, like that Toronto team could have easily gone all the way to Stanley cup final. So, so we'll see. Yeah, they need to get rid of this format. I don't know when the next time they can really evaluate and figure out how to, how to scrap it, but it, uh, it needed to be scrapped a long time ago. But yeah, I, um, I don't know. We'll have to see, but 
do you think um i saw that this was interesting um and this is the last thing before we wrap up here and um zach mckinnon um he is inspired by Crosby and like he looks at him as like a mentor. Do you think McKinnon can actually get to that point where we look at him the same way we look at Crosby? Do you think he has that longevity in him? Uh, I mean, I think if you watch any games with, you know, the way he is, especially with the the team he's with um, in terms of, you know, what, what he overall just can do every time he's out there on a ship. I mean, he's probably got, He's right up there, I think, with probably McDavid is the best kind of end-to-end speed. I mean, he takes just a couple of strides, and all of a sudden he's kind of operating by himself in the other team's zone. So I I think when you look at both what his overall skill set is and his track record, I mean, he's you know flirted with 100 points the last two, three years especially. Um, and then you look at you know the talent around him where it's, you know, Miko Rantanen just has evolved into an absolute monster. I mean, in terms of a legit, you know, power forward who's impossible to knock off the puck, who seems like he always kind of knows where his teammates are on the ice. Um, you've got, you know, young guys like Kale McCarr who are really kind of coming into their own in the blue line. Like, I think the Avalanche is the team that I think teams should be most afraid of going forward because they just have so much, you know, potential. And, and you know, their overall, you know, feeling is so much higher than so many other teams because case could be made that guys like Rantanen, McKinnon, uh, Makar, all these other guys, and plenty of guys that are in the you know the pipeline for them further down the road who should make big jumps going forward. I mean, when you look at you know McKinnon and what he brings to that team as you know a guy who uh, is kind of the the conduit for getting them kind of playing their high tempo style that they have, I could very well see him. I think he's already a you know a top five guy in the league. And as you know, Crosby gets up there in age, I can see another uh, a Nova Scotian. Uh, kid kind of supplanting him because he really is that good and he impacts the game in so many different ways all right connor is there anything we should check out from you uh this week on bostonsportsjournal.com yeah we're gonna have a whole bunch of uh preview content it's a busy week for the bruins obviously they got tampa bay coming in uh thursday night followed by two games against uh toronto back to back and then uh next week the game that everyone's either looking forward to or dreading, where the Bruins welcome the St. Louis Blues back to T D Garden for the first time since that lovely uh lovely June night uh game seven of this cup final. So that's gonna be a uh, a pretty challenging slate for the Bruins with a whole bunch of really fascinating matchups. So we're gonna have a whole bunch of stuff on Boston Sports Journal. Uh check us out online, uh subscribe to all of our content and uh yeah you can follow me along there. All right, Connor. Always a pleasure. Um, last thing I gotta ask, though, and then then we'll be done here. Um, Absolutely. Are you a cop? We're doing this again, huh? Where I I just I feel like it's <laughs> a thing that I have to always ask you. Dude, I, it, I feel like dude, we, that's how we have to wrap up these podcasts. It, it literally happened. I was at a uh, I was up in uh, Portland for like a bachelor party. And we were on like this uh, this like tour of this brewery. And the guy asked where I was from, and I said South Boston. He said the same exact thing, and I literally had like <laughs> flashbacks to like just like these podcasts. I was like, "Is this going to be just a running thing for the rest of my life?" Which I probably at this point, yes, absolutely. I mean, there are worse things. It's worse. It's, there, there, it's there, all in good fun. There is much worse things. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, but um, you have dodged the question, which Ab- is um, absolutely. Are Are you a cop? Uh-huh. Okay. Are are you a cop? Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. Just want to make sure. I just mm-hmm. want to see. You never know. Yeah, you know. Always got to check. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Connor, Thanks. I appreciate it as always, sir. And uh, I will talk to you soon. Sounds good, man. Thanks.
Nicely done, nephew. Chase Thomas Podcast. Hell yeah. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.